we've got these wonderful pictures that God has been giving to us through the parables um, about what his kingdom is like. And so tonight, we get the joy of having Brooklyn speak tonight. So Brooklyn, why don't you come on up? So excited. Like, Brooklyn's been going nonstop for weeks, so... You too, Alex. My goodness, you guys have been going. So bless you as you speak. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for letting me speak and trusting me on these minimal hours of sleep to bring the word. So let's see what happens. Um, And thanks, band. I was thinking to myself, I was like, this set list is so good. It fits so well. And then I was like, that's because I told them the theme, which makes a lot more sense. Because otherwise, wow, that was awesome. Uh, Yeah, if we haven't met before, my name is Brooklyn. Nice to meet you. I go here. I am a student here. Nice to meet you. Um, Okay, we're going to kind of jump right into it. Um, I'm going to be talking again in the series of what the kingdom of God is like, but I'm going to start by asking you to close your eyes, an exercise of trust to see. If everyone would close their eyes, and I want you to think in your head and picture the best celebration you've ever been a part of. So maybe it's like a really great birthday party, maybe it's a wedding or your favorite holiday. And then I want you to like put yourself there and think like, who are you sitting next to? What are you eating? Think about the smells of this wonderful party. Think about just the things that you hear, the music that's playing. I hope you're in a happy place because that is the goal. Okay, you can open your eyes. Remember that place. Remember that place of celebration where you just were. You see, one of my favorite celebrations is Christmas. Um, Someone said the other day, they were like, youth camp's the best after Christmas. And I was like, man, that's that's a good line. I, I think I like that one. I love Christmas because Christmas is like the celebration that goes on and on and on. Like it's like days and days and it never ends. And the charcuterie is just ongoing. And there's like something about little food like small food when you're like, you wouldn't really want a burger, but you'll eat four sliders because you can, because it's mini and there's lots of them and no one's going to know if you have four because there's so many of them on the plate. And there's so many amazing things about Christmas that I love. Um, I don't know, like, if you have Christmas traditions, but my family, like, we have some. They're not crazy, but we always have charcuterie on Christmas Eve. Some people have feely bags. There is apparently something special. Some people love them. We all have these different traditions. I love the movie Elf. I was just telling someone about how I think I have that movie memorized, Um, especially the part where he says the thing about the world's best cup of coffee. I laugh like every single time. I know it's coming. I say, the coffee's coming, the coffee's coming. My favorite part. Love that part. And my dad loves cream soda. So like, it's not, oh, I forgot to say. Hi, mom. She's watching the live stream. I said I would give her a shout out. Hi, mom. And my dad, who's maybe listening, loves cream soda. And he says it's not a party unless there's cream soda. So in my head, I was like talking about parties that came to mind. And the last thing that I think about Christmas is those Christmas crackers. You know when you like sit down at the table and there's a Christmas cracker? Not like a saltine. You know what I'm talking about, right? You pull the things and it snaps and then you got that crown and those jokes and those awesome little things that you get in there like dice. Dice. Tiny cards. You can't see the numbers. Really weird things they put in those things. But they got the crown. And that's the important part for what I'm trying to say. That's about the message tonight. Um, And I got a picture. That's me. 
Look at me and my crown. Clearly the queen of Christmas right there. And uh, me and my brother and Santa. I honestly just like these photos. I got one more because I thought it was fun. Right? Who wouldn't love a sweatband and mittens? Matching, particularly. So blonde. Very blonde. Yeah. I, uh, this is actually not about the crown, but I do love Christmas. And we're talking about celebrations tonight. And so as good as all of the celebrations that we dreamt about or think about or as good as Christmas can be when it's a month-long celebration, uh, tonight we're going to talk about an even better celebration than you could ever imagine. And uh, that is a celebration that happens when sinners repent. And so, amen, right? Yeah. So we are going to be looking at Luke 15 tonight. So if you want to go there, uh, you can do that now. There's three stories in this in this chapter that we're going to kind of go through. And so we might go through some sections quicker than others um, because I really want to talk about the celebration that happens. And have you ever had a friend who, like, they got a story for everything? You know, like you mentioned something and you're like, of course you got a story. Of course you've been there, you've done that. Of course you did, right? Oh my gosh. (laughs) I know you got a friend who always can relate, always got a story to go. And also, Jesus. So, um, I don't know if you know, (laughs) but... But Jesus got a story for everything. These parables, they're like, he's just, like, sometimes, you know, you're reading the Bible and you're like, this parable is like so, like, this story is so perfect. Then you realize it's because he made it up. Because he's so smart that he makes the perfect story for the perfect situation. And that's what Jesus does. And he doesn't just give us one in Luke 15, but he gives us three. And so it's hefty, it's meaty, but it's the word of the Lord. And we're going to just work through it a little bit together tonight. And so, if you want to start with me, we will be starting right at the beginning, Luke 15, 1 to 2. And I just want to read through these verses because it gives us a little bit of context of the crowd that he's speaking to. It says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Immediate complaining, of course, right? So he's got to tell a story, and he's going to. But the important part is that he identifies the audience. Right at the beginning, we have the tax collectors and the sinners who are recognized as the public sinners in the area. And then we have the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who are the, let's call them the public complainers. So we have both of them surrounding Jesus. And the important part that they're both there is because the stories he tells specifically include both those people in the, in the parables. And so it's so that they, the way he tells them is so that they can hopefully see themselves in those stories. So we're going to continue on with the first parable in verse 3. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. He starts it off by saying, suppose one of you. He's trying, he's being relatable. He's got the crowd listening. He knows that they're there and he knows who's listening to him. And so he starts by saying, suppose one of you, as if it's like an invitation. It could be you, perhaps, that could be here. Then we see that the shepherd leaves his sheep, and he leaves the 99 together because the 99 together would have been actually quite safe because it's a large crowd. Therefore, safe. One individual sheep goes off. Therefore, not safe. So, sheep goes to get, well, shepherd goes to get the sheep um, and bring him back. 
And we see that as he goes, he, he finds the sheep and he brings him back. Great. That is the love that we see coming through the shepherd there. But the important part is that he celebrates. And you'd be like, in my head, when I read this, I was like, 99 sheep, but one is a cause for a party. Now, when we're talking about sheep, since seems a little funny, maybe, but when we're talking about souls, that's worth a party. I don't know about you, but I think it's worth a party. Um, he celebrates by inviting his friends and neighbors together. And even though it's one in a hundred, it's worth a celebration to him. <clears throat> but Luke goes on with more celebration. So in verse 8, he says, Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So once again, something that's important to this woman has been misplaced or lost. And uh, many different commentaries and theologians had different ideas of what they thought this coin could have been. Um, they say that it's worth about a day's wages. So she has 10 days wages, so she loses one. Um, and if you think about a day's wages, that doesn't seem like a crazy thing to lose, but worth a celebration. Some people also think that maybe the coins uh, would have been worn around her neck, representing that she was a married woman and that that gave her identity in the coins. So losing that would have been really upsetting. But imagine if you were like invited to a party for someone who lost a day's wages and found them. Like a day's wages at minimum wage, I don't know exactly, but like $120. What if interesting party? I've never been to a found a day's wages party. I don't know about you. But when you think about it in coins, crazy. When you think about it in souls, amazing. And that's what we're talking about tonight because it's so important to see the way that they celebrate because the significant importance of what has been found is seen in the demonstration of the celebration that happens when it's found. Maybe, maybe they had sliders. Maybe they had cream soda. She had a party. Not too sure. Let's go, cream soda. Uh, <laughs> but... Jesus doesn't stop there. To ensure that we really understand <laughs> what is going on here, he tells us the third parable. And I'm sure this is probably the one that is used the most often in preaching. Um, it's the story of the lost son. And so uh, we're going to read through this together, take some breaks, chat about it, and look at the celebration that happens at the end. So starting in verse 11, Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything there, was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am, starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. <clears throat> Pause. How often do you rehearse an apology? Because when I was reading this, I hadn't really thought about that like element of this of this passage before but I was like man how often do you rehearse an apology like you're like rehearsing your apology you're driving home you're like missing curfew you're getting ready to like apologize to your mom or maybe you're like 
getting ready to apologize to Jerry. You didn't return the van key, and he's emailing you like a lot of times, and you're like, I'm so sorry, Jerry. I'm going to try to think of your, your solution, right? Sometimes I <clears throat> rehearse my apology when I hit the curb in the car, and I say, sorry, Curtis, uh, it's falling off again. Um, we rehearse because I'm nervous. I'm nervous that I, that I might get in trouble from hitting the curb, okay? But how often do we rehearse our apologies that we are preparing for God when we're like, we know we've done something wrong, but we're not quite ready to give it to him. So we're like, I'm going to rehearse, and when I get to Wednesday chapel, I'm going to go to the front, and then someone's going to put their hand on me, and then I will repent, and then Jesus will love me again. Or we think to ourselves, like, how, how, like we, we want to wait for the right moment for someone to, like, say to you, hey, I think you need to give something to God. And you're like, oh, yes, this is the moment I was waiting for. Weeks for, baby, perhaps. But the point is that he's ready and he's willing. And we'll see that as we continue to read on. One thing to note in this section is when he says that he sinned against heaven, it's a recognition of a sin against God. And so he knows that when he's getting ready to go back to his father. He's getting ready to tell his father that he knows he sinned not only against towards his father by taking all of his things, but um, to God in the way that he dealt with that. So in verse 20, it says, So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Don't know if you caught this. He didn't finish his apology. The father didn't even let him get that far. And then when we continue to read on, we'll see the way that the father embraces him immediately. He says, threw his arms around him and kissed him. And that, at that time, the kiss would have been a sign like the son would have known that he was forgiven when the father kissed him. And so before he even finished, before he even was able to ask to become a servant, the father had already forgiven him. He's already, he already knows the heart of his son, and he's waiting for him to come back. And so as soon as he's there, he's ready to forgive him. Verse 22. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For the son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Uh, The story that we we know so commonly as the prodigal son um, is the name that we typically give to it. But there's a book by Tim Keller, and it's called The Prodigal God. And it talks about how in many ways God is actually the one who's prodigal. And so this definition of prodigal that I found here It says, having or giving something on the lavish scale. The way that the father receives the son, he he prodigally shows his love on him. He lavishes him with love immediately by giving him a robe and a ring and sandals. And as we move on, we'll see the importance of each of those things. They they have a crazy symbolism that I actually didn't know until really recently um, when I heard someone speaking on this passage. And it's that the robe symbolizes sonship. And so as soon as he comes back to the father, he's immediately welcomed and brought back into the family. And I think this this specific part is really important because he was prepared to ask to be a servant. He was asking his father to come back and ask to be his servant. But the father immediately gave him a robe, didn't even wait for him to request to be a servant. And so when he gave him that robe, he was saying, like, no, you're not a servant. You're my child and you're in my family in this house. The second thing that he gives him is a ring, and the ring symbolizes authority because uh, this would have been a signet ring, and so it has a special design on the ring so that when 
it was stamped in hot wax. It was like a, a seal of authority. And so when he was brought back into the family and given a ring, it would have been a restoration of privileges that he would have previously held. And that demonstrated that his position has not changed. Like the relationship and his position in his family has not changed. He's, his authority is restored when he chooses to turn and come back to the father. And the final thing uh, that the father gives the son is sandals. And so the sandals are important because at that time only slaves had bare feet. So again, as he's coming back and requesting to be a servant, the father's like, no, I'm, I'm giving you sandals. You're a free man. You're my son and you have authority in my house because of who you are and because you have asked for forgiveness. And I just think that is like so crazy because I was just reflecting on this literally today. And I was like, isn't it crazy that like we, we, we can't come prepared to ask God for like the minimum and he just like wave of love, like, like massive wave. (laughs) I don't know why I said that. Um, And the point is, it's big. It's big. His love for us is so much more than like what we like think it could possibly be. We're like, oh God, like, I know I've sinned. I know I've done this, but maybe you'll let me mop the floors. Like mopping the floors is the Lord's work, but he wants to use you to mop the floors and so much more. Like he wants to give you so much more. He wants to show you so much more love and welcome you into his family so much greater than the minimum that we come prepared to ask him for. The final thing that he gives his son or, or gets ready for his son is the fattened calf. And uh, the fattened calf would have, been, would have been saved for a special celebration. And so I think that the fact that the father was prepared to use the fattened calf for this party um, just shows that it's not an ordinary celebration. It's something incredibly better, a much better celebration than just a regular party that they may have had. They might have even had cream soda. Okay? I'm saying it's a big party. They might have had it. We don't know. Um, but when the son asked for his needs to be met, his father met him with so much more than that. You see, while the son was still a long way off, the father saw him and he knew him. He knew who he was and he accepted him before the son could even ask for it. He loved him just the same in the way that he covered him so lavishly and then he celebrated him. And the beautiful thing about this is that we have all received this exact same kind of love from the Father. He saw us before, he, before we knew him or saw him. He knew us before we ever knew who he was. He accepts us with our flaws and everything about us. He loves us the way we are because he created us so uniquely for a purpose. And he celebrated each and every one of us when we chose to come into his presence and enter into salvation with him. You see, the sheep was lost because it foolishly wandered away. The coin was misplaced and the son left out of selfishness, yet each is welcomed back and their return is celebrated the same. And I think this is so important because I think that sometimes we think that like depending on what we've done in the past, it like gives us like a rank in heaven. Like I don't know if you've ever heard people be like, oh, they're like a super Christian. You know that like phrase as if you haven't wandered or as if you like, it wasn't your fault that you wandered or it wasn't your fault that you were like misplaced. But the point is that that's for all of us, that we have all been accepted no matter where we came from, no matter how we found ourselves outside of his presence, he welcomes us back in. And like I said, this is no ordinary celebration. It's because it's the greatest celebration of all. And every time a sinner repents, God is preparing a room for them and a seat at the table for them. And as I was thinking about this, I don't know if this will land, but it makes me think of this song. 
And it's like, um, it's a big, big house with lots and lots of room. You know, it's a big, big table with lots and lots of food. It's a big, big yard where we can play football. It's a big, big house. It's my father's house, right? Oh, so good. But seriously, like when I hear that song, thank you. <laughs> when I hear that song, like it's a big, big house with lots of room. Everybody is welcome. It's a big, big table with lots and lots of food. Like it's a celebration. And I don't know, like I have this image in my head, like since I was a kid, when I hear that song of like this glowing house and it's like this table that just like never ends like just forever it goes forever because there's always room at the table if people want to accept him and want to step into a relationship with him and want a place at the table there is room for them there and that's why I think it's so special and I was reading about like why like the celebration what happens you know and we're not going to go into the whole theology of heaven right now because I'm not qualified but uh, I read in a commentary somewhere that said the angels rejoice and celebrate because they understand the reality what of what it is like for someone to tip towards the other side and so basically as I was like reading and studying and thinking about what this means um, it's just that like there's no gray area in faith. There's no middle where you're maybe saved, maybe not. Like there's heaven and hell and angels understand how important it is and how easy it is to tip a little bit to the wrong side by slowly making the bad, bad decisions. And I think that it, we don't always think about it, but it, like, it, hap- it can happen so slowly that we're like, sl- people slowly start to drift away and they make one decision and then they think the next one's okay. And you can just tip to the other side so easily. But really, the- they celebrate because they know that it's not an easy path to walk, to continue to walk and to do the right thing all the time, to always be doing and listening and trying your best to follow God. Like, it's going to be hard. But that is why the angels celebrate so big because they understand that that it's not easy, and that it could be so easy. And it could be so easy to go the other way. And I think that we just need to understand the importance of that celebration and of the salvation that we have been given. Because the reality for us in this room is that we are not the lost sheep. We're not the coin. We're actually not the son right now because we've already stepped into salvation and a relationship with him. And so we're the ones who are in his presence who get to be a part of the celebration when other people come to know him. And I think that should challenge the way that we think about the salvation that we have. Because I think we like like to make it about us. We like to, to sing the songs and, you know, you leave the 99 for me. Like he did. And amazing that he did because now you're here. But that's no longer about us. That's about our friends and our family who don't yet know Jesus. And so the reality is that we have a seat at the table. We've already joined the celebration and we're there. And we just have to choose to stay there. We have to make continual decisions throughout our life. And as we go, uh, to, to continue to choose to walk in the will that he has for us, to continue to walk the path that he's laid out for us, Hebrews says um, to run the race ahead of us with endurance because there will be challenges and there will be things that we feel like we can't do on our own, but God is there and he's with us. And if we continue to make those steps, we'll get to continue to be in his presence and eventually be at that table um, in heaven with him at the celebration and joining in the heavenly celebration when others repent. And so if we have an understanding that we are at the table and we understand how great the celebration is because we're here standing on the other side of it, 
I wonder how that changes our perspective when it comes to inviting people to join. Like, do we share the gospel like we understand the celebration that happens and how important it is and how easy it is to tip the other way? And I am, like, personally convicted about this often. Like, the amount of times that I avoid an opportunity to maybe share about my faith, whether that be with a stranger or someone I know, I think that we need to share with desperation that people would know the Savior, and that they would come to know him so personally. Because when you understand the weight of it, like, it's heavy. It's a lot. Like, it's actually a job that we carry to share that with others. And as I was thinking about this, and I was thinking about how I'm like, oh, man, when when could I have more opportunities to do this? Like, when are there times in my life? I was thinking about two specific people that I know who I feel like do this just so incredibly well. The first one is a pastor from my home church, and his name is Nilo. Um, He is a pastor of a Filipino congregation, and he is just, like, an incredible person. He's got, like, a thick Filipino accent. Like, sometimes I just don't understand him, but he's always really happy, so... I'm happy when I'm with Nilo. Um, and Nilo is, like, part of our outreach ministry and, our, like, one of our community pastors as well. And so one of the things that he does in his ministry is he um, he brings, like, welcome baskets to immigrant families to the city. And so I'm, I'm honestly not sure how he finds them because they don't attend our church. But they obviously have a program where they can figure out where these people are so that they can bring welcome baskets for them. And... Um, as you can assume, most of these people, most of these families are from the Middle East, um, and most of them are Muslim. And Nilo is just like, the, he's crazy. So I've interned at my church the last two years, so I've had lots of experiences being with him. But something about Nilo is he just like, he'll come to staff meeting, and we'll just do like a, just a check-in, you know? Like, how's, how's it going, everyone? How you doing? And Nilo's like, oh, yeah, I dropped off a, I dropped off a welcome basket last night. And, um, yeah, the Muslim family, so I was talking to them, and they also, they also think they, they know Jesus. And so I led them to the Lord last night, and so can we pray for them? I'm like, how do you do that? He just walks into this Muslim family's home. They don't speak the same language. They, he only does, like, sh- loves out of the generosity and the love that Jesus has given him, and he leads them to the Lord. And I'm like, this is crazy. Like, and I think that I can't lead people who are completely lost and drowning and know they need help, and these people got a different religion, and he's, he's leading them to Jesus all the time. And that is like a common story with Nilo. And I think that it's just so clear that he understands how important the gospel is. Like, he knows how important it is and the call on his life to share it with people. And specifically, he's put in an incredible place to get to share with people of all different ethnicities and all different cultures. And he has an opportunity to step into their lives and to share with them about who Jesus is, the Jesus that he knows, and all that he can do for them um, by saving them and bringing them into this incredible gospel that he knows because he knows the power of the celebration. He knows why the celebration is so important. And he wants to invite people into that. And the second person that I think about is my uncle. Um, he is a pastor and uh, he's often traveling for lots of reasons, pastor reasons, I guess. And he um, he is like this like, I literally am amazed when I think of this every time. He, like, will go, you know, he was flying to Cal, he was flying to Victoria, actually, not that long ago, and he posts on Facebook, and he just, like, posts a selfie with a guy, and he's like, hey, everyone, like, on Facebook, like, public post, hey, everyone, this is my friend John, met him at 
Chili's in the Calgary airport, um, just led him to the Lord. Please pray for him. I'm like, what is this? How do you find these people that want to know the gospel? But maybe I'm just not asking the right people or anyone at all, really. Because he, this is like a consistent thing with him. Like he is consistently like all the time, like met Sandra at Starbucks. We have the same order. Please pray for her family. Let her to Jesus. She wants the rest of them to know him too. And I'm just like, of course she does. Like, I'm not kidding you. I actually don't get it. And that's why I'm sharing because I think that sometimes we just overcomplicate what it means to share the gospel with someone. Like we overcomplicate, we, 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 we presume that they don't want to know or we think that they have biases or we put all these different things in our head or in their, we put our words in their mouths and thinking that we know what they want. But I think that maybe it could be simpler than we think it is. I'm going to invite the band back up. That's always so awkward. Okay. Because when we understand the cost of what it means to have a seat at the table, it should challenge us to share it with others. And like I said, I'm convicted of this often, and I know there's people in my life who have done different things. Um, Wait, put the response away for a second. Can you put, can you, can you get the response off the screen? Thanks. Sorry. Okay. Um, like I was saying to you earlier, like I am convicted of this often because there's like so many moments um, where I'm just like, you know, someone's like, what do you do? What are you? I'm, a, I'm a student. Oh, where are you a student? Summit. Of course they don't know what Summit is. They don't, like, the, no one, they, the, this isn't Victoria. People are like, I don't know what that is. And I'm like, do you know what Trinity is? And then they're usually like, yes. And I'm like, it's kind of like that. <laughs> but it's like more about the Bible. Like, I don't know. I, I, and I'm trying to, like, share with people. And it's like the most awkward thing. And I hope it's okay that I say this, Kim. But Kim was just talking about this today. And she was saying how, like, when people ask her what she did when she was a chaplain, she would start by saying, I'm a chaplain. Or no, you said that now. I'm a chaplain. And then they're like, so what is that? And then she's like, well, it's a pastor. (laughs) Like sometimes we try to find these like little loopholes to jump into conversations easier because we think that that's like going to help us share the gospel. But I think that there's people in the world and in our circles and in our lives who need to hear it straight. They need to hear who Jesus is like in from someone who maybe they haven't heard it from before or maybe they've never heard it before in their lives, but they need to hear it. And I think that sometimes we think that like the best way to share the gospel is to go on missions and like missions are great. I love it. I'm going to Southeast Asia, but like you don't have to go around the world to find people to share Jesus with. You don't have to, you don't have to be in an airport, although it works for my uncle. You, they, they don't even have to be strangers because I think that there's people probably in your lives right now who need to know Jesus. And I just want you to think back to whatever that like celebration that you thought of with that hopefully a table um, with really good food. Um, and I just want you to imagine being there and you have a seat at the table. It's already there. It's marked out for you. You will be there. But what would it look like for your friends from high school to be there as well? Like what would it, would you be surprised? How, what would it take to get them there? And I think it's not just like, it's not just your friends. Like, I think there's people in this room who have family who don't know Jesus. And I'm, I'm betting that you want them to be there. Like, I'm believing that you want them to be there as well. What about the person serving you your coffee? Not in the bookstore. 
that. But like, you know, the drive-thru. Um, my youth pastor, he would always like tell the drive-thru person where he's going when he's going to church because he would go through the drive-thru a lot. And so I've started to try and do this when people are like, oh, like, what are you doing? And it's Sunday morning. I go to Starbucks like every Sunday. Um, and they're like, what are you doing? And I'm like, oh, going to church. And they're like, you know, they're always like, oh, I went to church one time. And I'm like, that's awesome. What church did you go to? And I've had this conversation with a couple people a couple of times. And it's so funny, but to just share, like, I remember with our with our Omega team last year too, we would go through the drive-thru after Starbucks pretty often. Um, and as we're going through the drive, they'd be like, what are you doing? And we're like, oh, we're on our way home from church. And I think they're probably thinking like, what are these seven young adults doing in a minivan after church, getting so many Starbucks and like three puppuccinos for the dogs in the back? <laughs> that was not planned. That was not planned. Um, and they're probably thinking like, what is this? But like, what an opportunity to share about what we're doing. Yeah, we're seven young adults who love to commit our Sunday mornings to serving at church and in children's ministry. Like, when we take the time to share those things, how does it change the people around us and how does it impact our hearts? I just want to challenge you guys to live in a way that demonstrates the desperation for other people to understand the celebration and to be invited into that because I think it is so important. And I don't know where you're headed next, whether you're in first year or fourth year, if you're going into a summer internship or just a summer job, whatever it may be. But I think there's people in our lives and probably more often than we think that need to know Jesus. And um, as I was preparing for this evening, I was sitting on the steps over there and I was just looking out and I was just like over the city that you can see kind of through the trees. And I was just like, this is a big city. It's not big, but... There are so many people here and they need Jesus. Like I was just overwhelmed by like, man, like we live in this city and we need to get off the hill. Like we need to be sharing Jesus with the people in our lives, not just the people that we like already have relationship with, but we need to be building connections. And I'm not saying this out of a place that I've like got it perfected because I definitely don't. And I'm speaking this message just to myself, just as much as I am to anyone else, because I need to get off the hill. I need to look for places to build relationship with people and to invite them in to what I know is an incredible celebration and I want them to be there too because when we know about a good party or a good concert or a good event, we invite our friends. But why do we find it hard to invite them to something that saves their life? I don't know about you, but that challenges me. And as we close, we are going to have three ways of responding, but I just wanted to read one verse and just remind um, all of us, really, about how great our salvation actually is um, and because it's nothing that we do on our own and it's only because of him. And so I have this verse. Uh, it's 1 Peter 1, 3 to 5. It says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Like, you're already there. And so as we move into the three ways to, to respond, the first one is to praise God and thank him for your salvation. Thank him that you're there, that there's a seat at the table, that he's preparing a room for you, and that you get to be in his presence. And in that, even pray that, that you would continue to walk that path and continue to stay there when things get hard, because it's better than any other path you could choose. 
The second one, um, or the second way that you can respond is by interceding on behalf of those who you want to know God. Because I think that we all know someone, and we were just talking recently um, with the Omega leadership team about the power of intercession and how like when you're praying for people and then they come to know Jesus, like we were celebrating because Daisy was praying for people and they came to know Jesus. Like that is like, and then we get to celebrate and we're in on earth. Like the celebration in heaven is going to be that much better, but it's so true that there's power in, in prayer and in intercession. And so I think we just need to pray for the people that we know that they would know God. And the third uh, way that I'm going to encourage you to respond is to ask for boldness to share and invite people into the, the party and the celebration that you already know is true. And so maybe you have people in mind right now that you know you're like, yes, I need to text them. Yes, I need to call them. And maybe you don't. Maybe it's more about the strangers that you see at the grocery store, at the coffee shop, at the skate park. I don't know if you go to the skate park. If you go to the skate park, lead those people to Jesus. Like, we need to just be willing to share the gospel in the places that we're planted and where we currently are. Because I think that if we wait for something, like, their soul's waiting for Jesus. Like, we need to get out there and share with him. And so there are, there's three ways to respond. Like, maybe one of them's hitting you harder than others. And so I would just encourage you to respond in the way that feels most appropriate to what the Spirit is doing in your heart right now. And if that's responding to all three, great. If it's responding in just one way, that's awesome too. But we're just going to take some time and the band's going to play. And I would encourage you to just spend time in your seats personally praying um, even if the band sings, just keep praying. Like, you guys can do what you want. But, but like, pr- like pray. I think that sometimes we the music comes on and guilty. Uh, it's so much easier to sing lyrics on the screen than sing my own words. So I want to encourage you guys to, to sing the words that are on your heart and to pray for the people in your life because we know people who need Jesus and we need to be willing to share it with them. I'm just going to pray for us before we head into this response. God, um, Lord, I thank you and I praise you for how great you are. I thank you um, for your incredible grace uh, that you have extended to each of us, that we get to experience salvation, um, that we get to know you in a deep and personal way. And I pray um, that because we know how incredible it is, Lord, that we would have boldness to share with those around us. God, I pray that right now you would be impressing names upon people's hearts, Lord, um, that they know need to know Jesus and that they would be challenged and compelled to do something about it. I pray that um, even as we leave this place, God, this wouldn't just be a moment of thinking of a name, God, but that we would take action, Lord. Um, I pray that we would do something. We would text people. We would contact those that we know and that we would just have boldness to share the incredible gospel and salvation that we've experienced. Holy Spirit, would you just speak to us in this moment, God? And I pray that every individual would um, experience you in a way that they they, are un- they didn't, cannot deny that you are working in their heart. Amen.